That's how we keep him quiet during the sermons. <laughs> Um, I, I threw a little bit of a curveball at you this week. We're going back to Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, as I kind of looked it over in the Greek, uh, there was kind of two different ways of translating in English. It's not that one way is right and the other way is wrong. Um, it's that because of the way the Greek is constructed, there, it, it doesn't make sense to translate it directly into English. And so I had to pick, and I, and I wanted to... Uh, instead of the ESV this week, I wanted to read it out of the New King James, and I, that, that'll become apparent why I wanted to do that um, next week. But So I, I asked that it be put up there in the New King James. Um, you can also, your pew Bible is also a New King James as well. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, starting in verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Lord, we pray this morning that you would make your book live for us and that you would show us yourself in your word and that you would show us ourselves in your word. We believe and confess what your Bible says about itself, that your word is living and active and when properly preached, uh, to the people of God on the Lord's day in the house of God, that it goes forth and accomplishes things that wouldn't happen otherwise and that can only happen by the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, somebody sent me um, an animated graphic from a, a website this week from a site called uh, Zoom Quilt. And it opens with a picture, uh, like a quilt picture, I assume is what it's supposed to be. And then the camera begins to zoom in on a small part of that picture in the center. But as you zoom in, that small part of the picture, um, in this particular one that I saw, was a hole in the wall. And as you go through the hole in the wall, a whole other world is revealed. And as you keep zooming in, more worlds are revealed worlds of complexity. There was a, a forest and a tree house that looked something like what an elf would build. And as you continue to zoom in, world after world opens up, and each one of them is fantastically detailed and complex. Somebody spent a lot of time putting these things together. And I get exactly that sensation sometimes when I study the scriptures. You start with a, a passage with four or five verses and you try and work out its meaning. You go back to the Greek or back to the Hebrew if you're in my shoes and you try to understand its meaning. And quickly you realize that you need to focus in on maybe just a verse or two and you lose yourself in that for a while. And then you realize that there's one sentence in that verse or two that really, really is just interesting and important and intricate. 
and you lose yourself there for a while in the profound thoughts, and then you come down to a phrase. And sometimes you come down to a single word. And we have such wonderful tools at our disposal today for studying the Bible. When I was in seminary in the 1990s, you could buy a program called Bible Works from a company called Hermeneutica, and the basic program was 600 bucks, and then you could add various modules on after that for about 300 bucks a pop. And I knew, I knew students who, who had loans, and they were like, I'm gonna buy this, and they'd spend 1,500 bucks on that software. Now I have an app on my phone that will do the same thing for free. I just think that's just amazing that I could, and you could use that app too. You don't have to know Greek to be able to use it. You don't have to know Hebrew. It'll do it for you. And so that it's not just pastors in their studies with their giant books that can get lost in the wonders of the Bible and the wonders of the text of Scripture. Anyone who wants to put in an effort can do so now, and I'd be happy to show you how to do it. Now, we spent five or six weeks exploring that little phrase about the sealing of the Spirit. I want to zoom back out, and I want to look at the the larger passage again, and then I'm going to zoom back in on a couple of other words. And I, I want you, first of all, to notice that this passage is bracketed by the word inheritance. Inheritance. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time today. I want you to know you have an inheritance. We sometimes talk about privileged children, you know, kids of the elites who run our society and run it into the ground. And we talk about those, those people as trust fund babies. They're well provided for now, but, but there's fantastic wealth that's locked away for them, waiting for them. It's kept safe. It's invested. It's growing. And on a certain day chosen by the Father, it will all be placed at their disposal. You, Christian, are a trust fund baby. And one day a key will be placed in your hand that opens a vault filled with all of the treasures that your heart now desires. We human beings are desiring creatures. That's really what we are at our essence. We're we're thinkers, but we are even deeper than that. We are creatures of desire, creatures of desire. And it's our desires that that drive our lives. And and we try and satisfy those desires. And that that drive to satisfy desire, that's really what, what runs our lives. What desires run your life? Have you ever thought about that? What is it that, that what are the desires, what, are, what am I after that runs my life? It, it, it has to be something. You, to be without desire is a state called clinical depression. And you can't live that way for very long. So you're designed to desire something. And what is it that's running your life? What desire is running your life? Do, do you desire wealth? There's nothing wrong with desiring wealth, exactly. It can be a problem, but there's nothing wrong with desiring wealth. It's a tool. But Jesus says, you shall have wealth beyond your wildest imagining someday if you are in Christ. You you shall wear the finest, the most beautiful clothes. Jesus says your house will be a mansion. 
The book of Revelation talks about the heavenly city of God. Your front door, the front door of your house, will be a solid slab of impossibly beautiful gemstone. And the streets outside of your front door will be paved with gold. You will eat the finest foods at an everlasting banquet with the most beautiful, with the most important, with the most powerful people in the universe. And you will be right where you belong. You will fit. You will be one of those people. Maybe, maybe you, you wish you were beautiful, or maybe you were beautiful and you're not anymore, or, or maybe you are and you want to hold on to it. Do you wish to be beautiful, to be attractive? You will be. C.S. Lewis said that if we could see you now as you will be one day, we would be strongly tempted to worship you as a god or as a goddess, so glorious will your person be. There's a, a defunct church over here on the corner of Kirk uh, and Canfield Niles Road, and it's a salon and a spa now. And uh, what once was a place of worship uh, of the true and living God is now a place of the worship of something else. And uh, you can drop in and you can get a facial and you can get your hair colored and you can get a manicure and a pedicure and it's called the Goddess Salon and Day Spa. And I think that's quite telling on many levels. Come in here, give us a couple hundred bucks and we will make you feel like a goddess. You will be radiant. Men will fall at your feet and worship you. And how will they do that for you, for your couple hundred bucks or however much you spend? Well, they're going to slather you with a coat of grease and then a coat of paint. And then, boom, instant goddess. We've got paint for your hair. We've got paint for your face. We've got paint for your nails. There's nothing wrong with that exactly, but God's word says that that kind of beauty is vain, by which he means it's empty. It's meaningless. It's of no significance in the eternal scheme of things. God says, you want to be a goddess? Just wait till I do what I'm going to do for you. God proposes to give you a lasting and a true beauty, a real fountain of youth, an ageless body, a brilliant, beautiful face. And your face will shine with the glory of God and with love that flows out almost like a liquid. The Holy Spirit comes out of the center of your being like a, a river of living water and blesses everyone around you. And they all say, isn't she wonderful? Isn't she radiant? Isn't she kind and good? I do so enjoy being with her. Perhaps you've taken crummy jobs your whole life and you're disappointed with your career and you desire interesting and meaningful work. And in the doing of the interesting and meaningful work, you hope to gain some sort of notice or some sort of fame for your accomplishments. And especially, you want that recognition from people who count. You want to be noticed by certain people, by the right people. The people who understand your work and understand the nature of your accomplishments and who will honor you with sincere appreciation for what you have done. Well, is there any person more important than Almighty God? 
And, and Almighty God is the ultimate influencer, is he not? We have these people today, they're called influencers. What do they do? They make videos of themselves and people follow them slavishly and imitate them. They're influencers. God is the ultimate influencer, isn't he? And if God clicks like, then legions of angels and all of the spirits of just men made perfect will also click like, and you will have gone viral. You will be amazingly popular. And how is God going to click like? Well, he's going to say to you, you're going to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. I entrusted you with five talents, and you made five more talents, and now I have ten. As a reward, here are ten cities for you to rule. Maybe you want power. Maybe you look around Youngstown or Austintown and say, why in the world are they doing that dumb thing with the public's money? Or why aren't they fixing this instead of this? Where's their priorities? What are they? I don't understand these people that run this place. If I was in charge, things would be different. The, the, the road past Newport Lake near my house has is, is been washed out for a year. And, I'm, and then we bought a canoe, right? I bought a canoe during the lockdown so my kids could put the canoe on a dolly and walk it over to the lake. And then the first thing that happened was Jordan broke her foot. And the second thing that happened was the road washed out. And you can't get the canoe down there. Not easily. And I just put the canoe on Craigslist yesterday. Because I don't think they're ever going to open up that stupid road. And you think to yourself, if I was in charge around here, that road would have been fixed months ago. Well, guess what? Maybe someday you will be. Maybe Youngstown will be one of the ten cities that you get to rule. Maybe one day you'll rule Youngstown and nine other cities. And what you want done will be done. Or maybe you want the power to say to a tree, uproot yourself and be planted in the sea. Or to say to a mountain, you're not in a good place for me. You're obscuring my view. Move over a little to the left. And you will have that power. Jesus says so. What is your inheritance? You will have wealth, you will have power, you will have beauty, you will have fame, you will have significant work to do, and you will have time. You will have time. Lots and lots of time. That's my favorite one. I, I feel like my, my days just evaporate in front of me and I don't know what happened. I, I feel like my life is coming closer and closer to the end and, and I've got so much stuff to do and I want to do most of it. But it doesn't seem like there's any time. In this life, you make a mistake or, or a setback in your education or in your choice of career or something else, and that can cost you years of effort. Some, some people go through life, and for the first part of their adulthood, they don't understand what they want. And they spend half their lives, half their, the first half of their adulthood, just, just clarifying what it is that they want. Many people drift aimlessly in their 20s and they settle into something that they don't particularly like in their 30s and then they spend their 40s and their 50s frantically wondering if they've wasted their lives. And they're keenly aware that more and more of their productive years are behind them rather than in front of them and all around them their peers start to succumb to cancer or heart disease 
or layoffs and shutdowns. Well, you'll have all the time you need when you come into your inheritance. How about health? The old and the ill will tell you that money and power and fame mean very little if you can't sleep at night because of pain or if you can't walk or if you have to spend four hours on dialysis three days a week or you're on your third round of chemo or you wrestle with an organic mental illness that just isn't going to go away. Well, there'll be no more of that when you come into the fullness of your inheritance. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more pain. Jesus said so. What about love? Do you want to be loved? Some of us have been profoundly scarred, either by a lack of love or even worse, horrible things done to us by people who were supposed to love us but didn't. And often because of this person's place in our lives as a father or a mother or a husband or a wife, we're conditioned to call that relationship love. But when you actually examine how they act towards us, it's not at all congruent with love. It's congruent with hate, with rejection, with contempt. And so at a deep level then, we come to equate being hated with being loved. I know, I know many people who broke free of one bad marriage and then found someone else and fell in love only to discover that the new person treats them very much the same way as the old person did, almost as if they were unconsciously attracted to people who would hurt them. And there are some schools of psychology which say exactly that, that you can become unconsciously attracted to people who will hurt you. That when you're young, important people in our lives hurt us, and, and we call it love, because that's what we're told to do. And when we grow up, we seek people out who will hurt us in that familiar way, seeking love. Well, when you come into your inheritance, there will be no more of that. Love will be genuine. Love will be pure. Some of you are aching to be known and accepted. You're terrified to reveal yourselves to anyone, even the people closest to you. You feel ugly inside. Maybe you hate yourself. Maybe you've done something horrible and you have a good reason to hate yourself. When you come into your inheritance, you will be fully known. Jesus says there will be no more secrets on that day. And guess what? You won't have anything to hide anyway. You will be fully known. You will be fully loved. In reality, actually, you are fully loved right now. It's just that you seldom feel it. We, we seldom experience it. it. It's not very accessible to us. And the vicious darts and the rejection and the contempt from the people around us are an ever-present reality. And all of that one day will be done with when you come into your inheritance. Everyone around you will receive you and accept you and love you and they will rejoice in you completely forever. In the words of John Bunyan from Pilgrim's Progress, in that heavenly city there are none hurtful, but all are loving and holy. 
So you're going to have wealth. You're going to have beauty. You're going to have meaningful work. You're going to have recognition or fame. You're going to have power. You're going to have plenty of time. You're going to have health and vigor. And you're going to have love. What else do you get in your inheritance? Well, you get the earth. The whole world. The meek shall inherit the earth. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. God will fill this earth with his redeemed people. Nation will no longer rise against nation. People will no longer rise against people. There will be no more conflict based on race or ethnicity or country of origin or language or anything else. You'll be able to visit any city in any country and find that the people there love you just as much as the people who dwell next to you in your mansion back home. There will be no dangerous areas. There will be no state department warnings about which state in Mexico you can go to safely and which one you can't. There will be no locks on doors. There will be no concealed carry permits. There will be no jails. There will be no prisons. There will be no need to be afraid at night anywhere on earth. You'll be able to hike in Montana and not fear the bears. We just, we're two people killed by bears this year in Montana, which is kind of odd. You know, it, it, they tell you in Montana when you're, when you're hiking, they, they say, uh, take bear spray with you. It's a really powerful pepper spray. And then if you're backpacking, they want you to hang little bells on your backpack. And then they tell you, you you've got to be really aware of your surroundings, though, even like that. And, and one of the best ways to be aware of your surroundings is to actually look for um, bear scat, bear exhaust. And there are two kinds of bears there. There's, there's black bears and there's grizzly bears. And you can tell the difference between which bear you're liable to run into by looking at the bear exhaust laying there on the ground. If it's a black bear, it's going to have berries and maybe the fur of small animals, you know, rabbits or something like that in it. If it's a grizzly bear, it's going to have little bells and smell like pepper. <laughs> you, won't need to fear, you, you don't need to fear the grizzly bears on that day. You, you can walk through the woods in Arkansas and not fear the wild boars. You'll be able to canoe in the shallows and the swamps and not fear the water moccasin. There won't be a single tick with Lyme disease. There won't be a, a mosquito that carries Zika or West Nile virus. None of that. Not only that, there will be pleasure. There will be rapturous, rapturous pleasures of every kind and every quality. And they will wash over your glorified body and your renewed mind and your perfected spirit and they will be constant. Our pursuit of pleasure down here in any but the most deluded and intermittent way is almost invariably destructive, isn't it? I mean, just, it, it almost, we, we can't handle it, the pleasures that God gives. We have to sort of pace ourselves. We have to keep a distance. We have to partake and then withdraw lest we become dependent in one way or another. And then if we do get dependent, we require more and more stimulation to create the feeling of pleasure, that same kick. But it won't be that way when you come into your inheritance. 
St. Augustine uh, in his meditation on Psalm chapter 35 and verse 9 talked about in Latin a torrens voluptatis, a, a torrent, a cataract, a waterfall, a fountain of pleasure that comes to the redeemed soul because of God. Where do we find that in Scripture? Well, one of the places we find that is in Psalm chapter 16 and verse 11. You show me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So you will receive wealth, you will receive beauty, you will receive meaningful work, you will receive recognition or fame, you will have power, you will have plenty of time, you will have health and vigor, you will be loved, you will receive the earth, and you will have pleasure forevermore, and it will never be taken from you. That's what's waiting for you if you're in Christ. Guaranteed. It almost sounds too good to be true though, doesn't it? How do we know that we actually get this? How can we be sure that these promises are true and that they are for each of us personally? Well, do you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you? If you do, then that's how you know. It says in Ephesians 1.14 that he is God's deposit He's God's down payment. He's God's guarantee of our inheritance until such time as we receive it in full. That's what Paul tells us in Ephesians 1.14. So the question that I want to close with this morning is, do you have the Spirit? Do you have the Spirit? I'm not going to give you a little formulaic list at this point, five ways to know if you have the Spirit or something like that. The Holy Spirit is the person of God who comes and dwells in you and dwells with you and he interacts with you and he speaks to you and he moves you to do things you wouldn't have done before he came and he gifts you with things that you didn't have before and he changes you. If you invite someone to move into your house, you know they're there. You see them. You hear them. You see evidence of their their presence and their activity in your house. You hear their voice. You spend time in their company. And that's how it is with the Spirit of God. He comes into your life, into your house. And He dwells with you. And if He's there, He leaves evidence. You'll know it. So the question is, is he in you? I'm not talking anymore about the fullness of the Spirit, the sealing of the Spirit and all that. I'm just talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit, the regenerating Spirit of God at work in your heart, changing you from the inside out. Is he in you? If he isn't, then you are still in your sins. If he isn't in you, then you are not in Christ. If he isn't in you, you are not saved. And none of the things that I described belong to you. And instead of pleasure forevermore, on the word of Jesus himself, there will be agony forevermore. And if if that's you, I want to tell you, seek Christ now. Now. Today. Don't wait. Seek him and receive him 
and rest upon him as Savior and Lord, as your only hope for salvation. Don't come to him and say, Lord, I've tried to live a pretty good life. Can you make up the deficit? He'll say, no. You haven't lived a good life, and I'm not making up any deficits. You lay down your filthy works, and you lay down your so-called righteous works at my feet and say, save me. I don't want to be this way anymore. Please, Lord Jesus, save me. And I'm not going to go anywhere until you save me. And he will. Just cry out to him to save you from your sins and from their just penalty. And in the moment that you do that, you will be immediately saved. Your destiny will be changed forever. And all, all that belongs to him, that he can give to you, becomes yours. All of it. Amen. Amen.